Turn your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark in chapter 4. If you've been here for the last couple months, um, or if you're visiting this morning, uh, we've been in the Gospel of Matthew for a long period of time. We've been walking through certain things in the Gospel of Matthew, and so this morning we're going to be going into the Gospel of Mark to look at a lesson that is taught by Jesus that immediately follows the parable of the sower that we looked at last week. And this lesson can be found both in the Gospel of Mark and the Gospel of Luke, as you can see behind me on the screen. For some whatever reason, whatever Holy Spirit-led reason, Matthew was not led to record this particular lesson by Jesus. But this is one of the cool things we're going to get to do as we go through this series and tell me a story of Jesus. What we're doing is we're taking all four of the Gospels and we're putting them together as best as we can chronologically to get this glorious picture of Jesus Christ, his life, his ministry, his teaching, his ultimate purpose in dying for our sins and rising again. Uh, as we get ready to dive into this particular passage, just want to share something about me. I love to go to the beach. Uh, typically, every year we go down to the beach with Jamie's family. Uh, it's really a, a good deal for us because her parents will rent the house and basically tell uh, the kids, uh, it's your job just to get there. Um, and then you all can take a night to cook, and that's the only responsibility you have. And so it's a pretty good deal. That's why we get to go so often. I uh, didn't do it this last year, did a little change of pace, but that's whatever. Um, but I love going to the beach. And what I, what I love most about the beach is the, the plan. Uh, and, and I'm a planner. But when we go to the beach, here's the plan. Beach, pool, beach, pool, beach, pool. And you swim. And you swim. And you sit on the beach. And you eat food. And I, I only have uh, two to three agendas that week. I want to eat at least two to three times good seafood. That's the only plan I make for the entire week. Beach, pool, beach, pool, eat, sleep, beach, pool, beach, pool. So, one of my favorite things about going to the beach, I like going in the mornings. Water's typically uh, nice and clear in the mornings. But I love going mostly in the evenings. And I love taking our chairs down there, and we all line up like in a row, and we'll just sit kind of on the shore, and we'll have our chairs. And my favorite part is I just uh, put my feet in the sand, just kind of move them around, dig them underneath the sand, and, and, and I just stare off. I engage in conversation, but for the most part, I'm just somewhere in my own head, in my own space, in my own world, and I'm just looking out. And I'll, we'll watch, like, the cruise ships that'll go out, and I'll wonder, you know, I wonder who's on there. I wonder where they're going. I'll just kind of watch them go over the horizon. But one thing I, I find myself staring at the most, and this is kind of weird, is I'll, there's a lot of oil rigs where we typically go to the beach. And so I'll just watch them. And it's not like I can see anything on them, but I'll just watch because in my head, I'm thinking, I wonder, I wonder what people are doing on that right now. I wonder, like, you know, what's their life like out there? You know, what, what is the view like out there? What is it going to look like when it becomes night and they don't have all the light noise and the stars are out? And, and so my mind just goes there. And, and the problem with that is when I'm kind of staring off at different things, it almost always seems to happen. Someone in our group will yell out, did you see that? And, and they're pointing direct. So you immediately you point, which this is probably, you want to save up a good April Fool's joke. This might be it. On April Fool's Day, just walk around in crowds like, do you see that? And then just walk away. And, you know, because what we want to do, because I mean, people naturally look, right? And so what, what we do is we all look that way. And they, they start to tell us what they saw, like a dolphin jumped out of the, the water or, you know, uh, they saw something just really big. And, and so we're all looking. And the problem is you never quite see it the way they saw it. You may see like the dolphin fin or some fin, sort of fin come up on the water, but you never see what they saw. What they saw so they got to explain it. And, they, and it's secondhand experience, which is not always the best when you're wanting to see, you know, some aquatic life and things like that. Um, I share this story because this is kind of going to help us when it comes to this particular passage in Mark 
and asking the question, did you see that? You know, did you see the salvation? Did you see Jesus? And so we're going to be in Mark chapter 4. We're going to begin in verse 21. And it's really a strange passage. It talks about a lamp, a light, some hearings, some measurements, some additions, and some subtractions. Um, but we'll, we'll unpack it. And he, and this is Jesus. Oh, sorry, wrong verse. Verse 21. And he, Jesus, said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed, and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, Pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Like I mentioned, you can find this also in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 8, verses 16 through 18. Luke pretty much has it word for word as Mark's at Mark, adds a little bit more detail. The passage sounds somewhat familiar. It is closely familiar with a teaching that Jesus does in the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 5, where he tells us that you are the light of the world and how we don't hide a light under a basket. Now, the meaning in Matthew 5, which is in the Sermon on the Mount, deals with us as individuals, as followers of Jesus Christ, as believers, that we are now the light of the world, so we're to let our light shine out of us. Here in Mark, there are similar implications, but the meaning is different. And if I'm being honest this week, I really struggled with this passage. Uh, one, I've never preached on it before, and I've never taught on it before. I've read it before, but I've never spent time trying to figure out what is actually being said in this passage. And so I had to read it and reread it and reread it and reread it and then pray on it and then read it again and meditate on it until finally God started revealing what he was saying to us here in Mark chapter 4. Uh, this passage is connected to the parable of the sower. And so anytime you are trying to understand Scripture or interpret Scripture, here's the best means to do it. Always use Scripture to interpret Scripture first. Okay, Don't go to the commentaries or devotionals first. Always use Scripture to interpret Scripture. Both Mark and Luke, the Gospels, place this teaching by Jesus immediately after the parable of the sower. If we remember from last week, the parable of the sower is really a heart check. It really has us to examine our heart and how do we respond to the Word of God and to the things of God. And in the context of this particular moment here in Mark and Luke, Jesus is teaching a Jewish audience on the shores of the Sea of Galilee to which this audience has two opposing views of Jesus. Some were just immediately attached to his identity and his teachings and ministry. And then there are another group of people in this audience that is heavily opposed to what Jesus is doing. So leading up to this moment, Jesus has been pointing people to the kingdom of God, pointing people to the things of God, calling people to repent. And so in this understanding of the context, we get our foundation to the teaching in Mark chapter 4, verses 21 through 25. Jesus begins in verse 21 with three rhetorical questions. And we've, we've come across rhetorical questions in the past. Rhetorical questions are questions Jesus poses to an audience, a crowd or an individual, not expecting a response, but simply wanting them to think about what he's asking. The, the first two questions are attached together. Is a lamp brought to be put under a basket 
or under a bed? And so his crowd hearing this question would know the obvious answer to these questions is no. You do not bring light into a house, light that is needed, and then cover it up so it is not able to be used. The third question can better be read like this, and this comes from the Christian Standard Bible. Isn't it, speaking of the lamp, brought to be put on a lampstand? Which, again, the obvious answer to that question would be yes. You would bring light in, a lamp, into a house, and you place on a lampstand. We have to keep in mind that there is no electricity at this time. Okay, This time in history, there's no electricity. And so what individuals would do is they would have this oil-based lamp. They would bring it into the main room of the house. And not like houses we have today where there's several bedrooms and bathrooms and closets and things like that. There would be a main room and then there would be a side room. And so they bring it into the main room. They would light the lamp and they would put it on the table so it would give light to the entire house. And so this lamp was brought in. And that is an important part of this is a lamp brought in. What Jesus is speaking about in this moment is obviously not a physical light or a physical lamp. He's not talking about us. Jesus is talking about himself. And this is how we get this understanding. When we use Scripture to interpret Scripture, the Gospel of John frequently refers to Jesus or Jesus quoting himself as the light. For example, in John chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, "...in him was life, and the life was the light of men." The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness is not overcoming. John chapter 1, verse 9, true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming to the world, speaking of Jesus. In John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. In John chapter 9, verse 5, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And finally, Jesus said in John 12, 46, I have come into the world as light. So whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. So what Jesus is saying is a light or lamp was brought in. He's speaking of the action of God in bringing the light of the world, Jesus, into this world which is shrouded in darkness. And we'll do that in a second. So this is Jesus talking about the salvation plan and understanding that salvation plan. And what Jesus tells us about is the salvation plan, which is Jesus Christ, is the light. As you read from the Gospel of John, John tells us that people are living in darkness. People are living in this world in darkness if they do not have the light of the world, which is Jesus Christ. And the use of darkness is a play on words to mean people are living in a place where they cannot see spiritually. They are spiritually blind, and they are living in sin. The Bible also points out to us that people naturally go to the darkness. When Jesus was sitting with Nicodemus in the Gospel of John chapter 3, he tells Nicodemus, and this is the judgment, the light has come into the world. And who's the light? Jesus. That's not a rhetorical question. Who's the light? Jesus. So the light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come into the light, lest his works should be exposed. Again, using the aid of the Gospel of John, we get a deeper understanding of verse 21. And what Jesus is telling us is that God brought the light in. God sent his only son into a world that was covered in darkness and living in sin. So God provided the light. Jesus' ministry 
has been reality of this teaching. We've already seen that Jesus has dealt with heavy confrontation from religious leaders. He's dealt with confusion by people. He's dealt with people wondering, who is this person named Jesus? And the confrontation and confusion are because what the Bible tells us. People are living in darkness. They're living in sin. And so what they're trying to do is they're trying to comprehend this light that has now been brought into the life, into their life. So Jesus came to shine light into their life of salvation, light into the light of their situation, to awaken their hearts, to awaken the minds of God's people, and ultimately to conquer the darkness through his death and his resurrection. The revelation of who Jesus is and what Jesus will eventually do is going to manifest there in verse 22. But the reality is, is right now it is hidden. This is what verse 22 is talking about. It's pointing out the word manifest can be read as known. It is revealed. And so though some people can't comprehend what is happening, some people are wanting to stop what is happening, some people are confused what is happening when it comes to Jesus Christ, there are also some who are all in. And the Bible reveals eventually all people are going to be exposed to the light. As Jesus brought light into this darkened world, eventually his full glory and his full light is going to be on display when all people will confess he is Lord and bow down before him. The word light, though, at the end of verse 22 means to be brought into the open. We learn here the valuable lesson is that the salvation plan is hidden initially, not forever, but is hidden initially because there are some people in this world as believers, we say, did you see that? And some people completely miss it. So it's hidden. It's in secret. We might want to think about why would God hide his salvation plan? Why would God make it a secret? And I think the best way to explain it is when we talk or around somebody that speaks a foreign language. I don't know if you've ever been around people that speak foreign language very often. But if you are, it's very hard to comprehend it's very hard to know what they're talking about. And, and I kind of get you know, self-conscious because when they start laughing, I'm thinking, are they telling some joke about me that I don't know what they're saying? And so you're trying to understand what's going on through body language and facial expressions and hand gestures in the air. But there's a lot of confusion, right? It's hard to conversate and communicate. Well, this is what happens when people who are living in the darkness become exposed to the light of Jesus Christ. They only understand the darkness language. And so the light becomes a foreign language. The Apostle Paul had to deal with this throughout his ministry as he's writing to the churches who are dealing with a darkness mentality, a darkness theology, that, you know what, I've got to earn or I've got to work in order to keep my salvation, to prove that I'm saved. But we understand through the gospel and the love of Christ and the salvation plan of God that we can't do anything to earn, work, or prove that we need to be saved, but to the glory of God, Jesus did it all, and he paid it in full because he is the light, and we are the darkness, and we can't figure that out. Yet with the age of Jesus' teaching here or in John chapter 3, we can also know why people are going to reject the light that has been brought in because they don't want their sinfulness or their wickedness to be exposed that's what light does. The reality is all things are going to be brought into the light on the final judgment. 
and people are going to, who fail to comprehend will be made fully known about the light and the glory of Jesus Christ as he stands before them as our resurrected Savior. There's going to be a day where no longer have to point people and say, did you see that, and pointing them to Jesus, because they're going to meet Jesus. But on that day, if they're not right with Jesus, he's going to excuse them from his sight. In verse 23 and 24, Jesus calls his audience to listen up. Verse 23, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. This is a common feature that Jesus uses in his teachings when he begins to wrap it up. But then he, he goes on. In verse 24, he says, pay attention to what you hear. Now, if we are reading through the Gospels and we see our Lord and Savior say, pay attention, that's something that should make our ears perk up. It's something that should make our heart grab a hold of it and wait in anticipation what he's going to say. Here Jesus says to hear three times just in these two verses. That's because the salvation plan must be heard. The story of Jesus Christ must be heard by people. And I've heard people say, you know, I, I'm not going to share about my faith because I'm going to live out my faith. I'm going to let people see the gospel, my relationship with God by the way I live my life. And that's great because, you know, all believers, all Christians are called to live and act like and walk like Jesus Christ. But the reality is throughout Scripture, we are told and commanded to proclaim and to preach the gospel. So to say that I'm, just, I'm not going to let my words say it, but I'm going to let my life say it, is like being a witness called to a stand in a trial and say, I'm not going to answer any questions. I'm just going to let my presence speak for itself. It does not work. It does not work. You are useless to the trial. You are useless to the case. And the reality of it, Jesus, praise the Lord, didn't just show up on this planet to reveal God through his life and his actions. He revealed God through his proclamation and his teaching. And Jesus loves the people all around him so much, he wants them to pay careful attention to what he is about to say. He wants them to understand it just as much as he wants us to understand it, which means this, you got to focus. We've got to focus when it comes to the Word of God and the things of Jesus Christ. This is why a salvation plan must be heard, it must be proclaimed. And at times, this is what we're going to have to do. We're going to have to call people's attention. We may have to grab them on the shoulders and say, hey, pay attention to what I'm about to say because I care too much about you in this life and the life to come. We are called to be his witnesses. This is why this teaching is directly connected with the parable of the sower. In the parable of the sower, before Jesus gets to this teaching, Jesus reveals the type of hearts that we're going to be shedding seeds of the gospel to. There's going to be hard-hearted individuals. There's going to be shallow-hearted individuals. There's going to be distracted-hearted individuals. But it does not give us an excuse as God's people or a reason not to proclaim the gospel or spread the seed. Because as God's people, we're called to be fruitful-hearted. Again, we may have to go to some people we love and grab them in the shoulder and look them in the eye and say, look, could you just please pay careful attention to what I'm getting ready to tell you? Because I love you too much for you to not hear this. Finally, what's all this stuff about measurements in verse 24 and 25? You've got measurements, additions, subtractions. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And still more will be added to you, for the 
One who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Again, Jesus is pointing people to salvation. He is shedding light into their darkened hearts. And we know that people are listening. Even Jesus' enemies listened to his words because in the final days they twisted them. So people are listening. The measure here is what we hear. Speaking of if you have ears to hear, let him hear. And he said, pay attention to what you hear with the measure. The measure is what we hear, but it's also in how we apply what we hear to our life. I like how the New Living Translation writes it. For the more you listen, the more understanding will be given. And this is amplified in the beginning of verse 25. Jesus is calling all who hear his words, all who come into his presence to be teachable, to be moldable, to be transformational. It's telling us that the salvation plan must be deeper understood. This is what, in fact, Jesus has called us to in being in a relationship with God. When we find salvation and forgiveness for our sins, it's to get into a deeper understanding. It's to dive into God's presence. This is what Jesus called the 12 disciples to him for, to be disciple, to get a deeper understanding. And when I say that, here's now, I don't want you to do this. I'm not saying, oh, fine, you know, I know it's, what is it, it's September now. In January, I was going to start a Bible reading plan, so I guess I'm going to get back on that plan. I'm not telling you to start a Bible reading plan. I I do believe you should be reading the Bible as believers. But you can, in fact, read the Bible and not have any growth. You can read through the words of Scripture and like, whoop, did that, and you put it away and not have any growth. I'm not saying God can't do something with that, but... You can just get into the motion reading scripture. What I'm telling us as believers is we need to have a Bible study plan. We need to have a Bible study plan that's personal, meaning we, we do it by ourselves. A Bible study plan maybe with a small group of individuals where we're, we're sharpening iron in a Bible study plan when you come to church on Sunday. Do you have a plan to study the Word of God when you come to church and you hear the Word of God preached? Because I guarantee you, if you're just staring and listening, you're going you're gonna to remember about 10%. I guarantee you, if I didn't say we preached on the parable of the sower last week, and I asked some of y'all, hey, what was the sermon on last week? Some of you were like, uh, the Jesus? Uh, I mean, you know, so you got to come with a plan. Come with a pen. Come with a piece of paper. I'm not saying everything that comes out of my mouth is gold or, or is great, But come with a plan to, I'm going to understand the Word of God, because I promise you this as your pastor, we're going to do the Word of God, we're going to take the Word of God apart, we're going to understand the Word of God in original language, original context, and we're going to have a deeper understanding if we come with the right plan. Do you come here expecting to get deeper? The image here in verse 24 and 25, though, is when we dive deep into the presence of God. And we hear his voice through his word. God's promise is he's going to fill us up. And even a more incredible promise, he's not just going to fill us up, he's going to keep filling us up. That's kind of a strange concept. How does that work? If I'm already filled, how is God going to keep filling? Won't eventually the filling, you know, come out? You know, go overflowing? Well, I understand this concept, I, I... I want to take it in terms of food, because I know some of y'all's tummies are telling your brains that it's getting close to food time. So let me just make you a little more hungry. Our oldest son 
eats everything. Um, I, I don't know where it goes. If you, if you know uh, Ethan, then you, you know how does he eat or does he eat. He eats everything. He can put down food. And so, for example, we, we went out to eat with my parents yesterday for lunch. And my son does this every time, and I know he's doing it. He doesn't think I know, but now you're going to know I know you're doing it. He gets done with all his food first that he orders. I mean, he's the first one done every stinking time. If it's at home, it's so he can get whatever is left up on the stove that hasn't been put on the plates. If it's in a restaurant, I believe this is what he's doing. He gets it all done, and then he hovers there like a hawk. And his eyes are watching everyone else at the table and where they are with their food. And so I sensed him doing this yesterday, and I was kind of didn't fool. So I said, well, do you want my taco? I don't think I'm going to eat it. I mean, just snatch. But if no one offers, he will, and he will say, were well, you going to finish that? And so he's like our garbage disposal. We rarely get to come home with leftovers. Now, Abby's kind of gotten this understanding, so she gets a little vicious about it, and she's like, you know, and so she protects it. But we'll go to a particular Chinese restaurant and order this massive amount of food. So we'll have like noodles and rice and chicken and fish. And before we walk in the door, this is Ethan's plan. Challenge accepted. There'll be food all over the place. And the challenge accepted means we're not going home with leftovers. I'm going to finish this no matter what. And, and, and he just continues to eat and eat and eat and eat. And it makes our grocery budget go up and up and up. But some of us have done that too, you know. Who here has not ever eaten to the point where you're just like, ugh? I mean, we've all been to Thanksgiving, right? But we've had that feeling before. Is that the last time we've ever eaten? Has anybody here eaten since Thanksgiving of last year? Sam has, only Sam. <laughs> Why? Because we're hungry. We burn off that food doing something, maybe just napping, I don't know, but we get hungry again, right? And so we got to go get more food. And then we take this now back to the spiritual aspect, what Jesus is teaching here. He says, when we dive into God, when we seek after God and dive deep into his presence, growing in our knowledge and understanding of who he is and his eternal plan and who Jesus is and who the Holy Spirit is, he says that God is going to fill you up. And he's going to fill you up so much when you get deeper and deeper into him, you're going to be so spiritually full, you're going to be going, ugh. So what's got to happen with all that filling? Well, what I've found in people's lives, when they are getting spiritually full through the word of God and the presence of God and in the worship of God and in the body of God, they share. They share. Say, hey, did you see that? Did you hear that? Have you ever read this? And so they start spiritually digesting. And that doesn't mean we lose what we've learned. Matter of fact, what I've learned through my own personal experience is when I talk about what God is revealing in my life with another individual, be it my wife or, or just people I'm gathering around, I'm spiritually digesting, but I'm also getting to a deeper understanding of it, which makes it easier to apply it. And so Jesus says, 
What you hear, you use it, and it'll be measured to you. You're going to apply it. And what God's going to do, he's going to add more to it. He's going to have more understanding to it. So basically, we should start thinking ourselves of like Christian turkeys. That God just wants to keep stuffing us with his goodness and stuffing us with his blessings. And then we digest it by sharing it with one another, by sharing it with our family. I hope you've had these moments when you're in your Bible study time. I I pray you do because it's so awesome. Well, you've read something like, we'll just say a thousand times, right? Because we're all avid Bible readers. A thousand times. We read a thousand times. I hope you had that, that moment where you're reading a verse or a chapter or a passage of Scripture, and it's just like, when did that get there? You know what that is? God adding more to it. Filling you up more. And you get that revelation. If that word didn't just magically appear in your, in your Bible, right? Someone didn't steal your Bible overnight and reprint it and then put it back where you normally find it. Is God is just keep filling. And then what you need to do, you need to go to someone else and say, have you seen this? Have you read this? Have you heard this? And sometimes you just response, yeah, it's always been there. But sometimes, oh, I can't believe I've missed that too. What's this last part about, though, here in verse 25? From the one who has not, not even what he has, or even what he has, will be taken away. So we take verse 25 altogether. The first individual has understanding and gets more understanding, and the more understanding is given. The second individual here has no or little understanding of Scripture, And what they have is going to be lost. And so this is why it's so important when we hear the word of God and we understand the word of God, we apply the word of God. And the evidence of verse 25 can be seen in a majority of people when they fall away from church. Or they fall away from their relationship with God. They've heard of God's goodness. They've heard of God's grace and his love and his salvation. And they've probably been saved themselves. They've made that commitment. They've said a prayer. They've walked down the aisle, which, by the way, that's not salvation. Salvation is is a heart thing. It's not an action we do. But they've done that. They believed it. And they believed they were saved. But they never grew in that understanding. And so they fell away from it. Again, this is how Jesus attaches this to the parable of the sower. They're like the third seed that is thrown down amongst the thorns, and they're unfruitful. I want to make a side point real quick. I know we're talking about God's salvation plan, but when it says what he has will be taken away, this is not talking about losing one's salvation. Okay? That's not what Jesus is talking about at all. He's talking about those moments when we see another believer doing something like, I can't believe they're doing that. I had that moment in my own life. I grew up in church. I heard the stories, the scripture. I could probably tell you some stories when I was a little kid, uh, probably not word for word, but pretty verbatim about how the story goes. I may even be able to tell you what the application would have been or one I've heard before. But when I got into my my late teens, I was never actually diving deeper into God. I wasn't personally seeking after God. I was allowing people to keep throwing 
spiritual food at me. But I wasn't actually diving in after him. I wasn't actually pursuing after him, and so I fell away. I still went to church. I still went through the motions. I still did all the things good Christians do. But there wasn't really a relationship with there. And so what happened to me is God got to go grab a hold of my heart when I was in my 20s. And what he did for me was an incredible act of grace. He reseeded the gospel in me. And he awakened my heart. He shined the light in my life that wasn't living for him. Receded the gospel, nurtured it, gave it some nutrients, and it began to grow. And I began to have a passion in pursuing after God. I began to have a passion in getting to his word and reading it and studying it, not to preach or to teach, but simply for my own spiritual well-being, my own spiritual heart. And this is the only reason I can be a preacher. This is, this is the only way I can be a good, godly parent to my kids. This is the only reason I can go out into the streets or go to the football games or the activities and share the gospel and, and talk with people and invite people to church. It's the only reason because I'm being filled and God keeps filling me. And so those things aren't being taken away. And this is what God wants to do for all of us. He wants to fill us and keep filling us. Because there's going to be times, believe it or not, there's going to be times, even though we're pursuing after God, you're going to feel worn down. There's going to be times this world is going to hit you. There's going to be times you're just going to tap out. So we got to keep filling and keep filling with the goodness and the righteousness and the glory of God so when those times come, we don't stumble away and we don't tap out. And then when we go out into the world and we go amongst believers and even unbelievers, we can say, did you see that? Have you heard this? Let me introduce you to Jesus. And by the grace of God, we can share it with him. And even though it may be secondhand, it's empowered by the Holy Spirit, which brings glory to God. Did you see that? I hope we all have those moments. We're so excited what God has revealed to us that we can't help but share it with somebody. Hey, did you see this? Do you hear that? The final question for us this morning is, where are we in our relationship with God? Are we going deeper? Are we being filled and refilled? Are we just staying on the surface? Are we hearing the word of God and doing nothing with it? The light of truth through the word of God has been spoken through the Holy Spirit to evaluate our hearts. But maybe you're here this morning and you hear that Jesus come into the light of the world and you're realizing you're an individual that is still living in darkness. I'm not saying that there's nobody, that people in here aren't wrestling with sin. Everyone here wrestles with sin. We all wrestle with temptation. But maybe you're here and you're still living in the darkness. You're still living in your sin. And this is why Jesus came to be the light, to speak love and truth over your heart, to awaken it, and to enlighten it. And this is what we preach in the gospel, is that God created you for a relationship with him. This is the only reason you're created, and if you don't like that word created, this is the only reason you were born on this planet, is to be in a relationship with God. It's not for a job, even though I know we talked about jobs, 
It's not for a marriage or a relationship or retirement or vacation or to have kids or to have a house with a white picket fence. That's not it at all. It's to be in a relationship with God. And the issue is, if you're still living in the darkness, then your sins are separating you from that relationship, from your sole purpose of life. And we try to do good things, but as we already talked about in this, in this message, we can't do enough good things to remove our sin problem, but that's why Jesus came as the light of the world. He came to live a life we couldn't die on a cross and rise again that we might be completely forgiven, given eternal life, and be called a child of God. And if you're here this morning you've yet to accept the salvation plan of God found in Jesus Christ alone, then when Nick and Bridget come up to lead us in a song, I'm going to ask you to come down and say, Pastor Mike, I need to be saved. But maybe you're here this morning and you're realizing, you know what? I've just been kind of staying on the surface. And I want to get deeper. Well, God invites you to do so. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for taking care of us. Thank you for giving us everything we need. Father, there's someone here this morning that needs to become a child of yours, needs to be adopted into your family. I pray your spirit will grab a hold of their heart in such a way that light would shine there. Their eyes would see and their ears would hear. And they would come and become a child of God, be saved and forgiven and be given eternal life. Father, you know at times that we, uh, we all as your children slip and stumble and sometimes just go through the motions. I thank you, you're a God that calls us to get deeper, to be filled and refilled and have more added to us. Thank you so much, Lord, for giving us that invitation and then giving us the spirit to allow us to come into your throne room of grace that we might obtain more. I just forgive us if we failed you in any way here this morning. But, Lord, I pray that your kingdom and will will be done here in this moment and that you alone will be glorified. We pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen.